We will just mention before this episode starts that we will be covering some mature topics. We will be touching on subjects of sexual violence. So if that would be upsetting to you, maybe don't listen to this episode, but just be warned. Welcome to the Trade Waiters. Yes. Uh, today's book is going to be V for Vendetta by Alan Moore and David Lloyd. Yes. So, I guess before we talk about the book, we should do some introductions with a character revealing question. Since I picked this book, I've done the character revealing question. Um, and so I will pose it to you guys first, which is Does your comic have a political message? Anyone wants to take that first. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take that one. I'm going to say yes. And who are you, oh, by the way? Oh, right. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton, and I would say that my comics do have a political message. I try to make the thing, the politics in my comics non-partisan, so I'm not, like, picking a party or whatever, but don't think you have to read very deep to see that I have political opinions and that I want to tell people them, especially when you combine them with history and with speculative ideas, or whatever. Right. Okay, and who would like to go next? Uh, I don't mind going next, perhaps uh, since mine is pretty much the opposite. My name is Angela Mellick, uh, and my comic is autobiographical, and I would say it's impossible to divorce yourself fully of your political beliefs, and if you can find any politics in my comic, it's very subtle. Uh, I would say there's probably a strong bent of feminism and Canadian ideals in it, but it's not overt. And I do make it a conscious thing that I try to remove politics from my comics. All right. Um, I'm Kay Gross, and I would say that my comics are not political. Uh, I'm not a particularly strongly political person, but there are definitely things that I keep in mind and am trying to do with my comics, but maybe not quite to the level of something like Be for Vendetta or like a very political revolutionary. It's just I want I uh, don't want to write about boys and uh, I don't want to write about romantic relationships. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a political statement. Isn't, isn't everything though. I think that's the point is that everything yes. is a political statement to some degree. And yes. even choosing not to make certain statements is yeah. a political yeah. statement. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. No, absolutely. So I'm Jeff Ellis and it's funny I, after reading this and, and thinking about the question and posing it to myself, I think a lot of my work is fairly non-political, but I do think that, say, teaching us in Japan, there's, like, undercurrents of just dealing with different societies and, like, the relationships between uh, North America and other other countries. And I think I've recently been inspired to start to add a little more commentary to my other comic, Crossroads, in regards to the Vancouver rental situation. <laughs> so I think there may be some politics creeping into my work in the future. That, uh, <laughs> the teaching English in Japan stuff might be my fault because I'm the other writer. So <laughs> that, I don't know. I don't have a good sense of how much, once the story's done, I don't have a good sense anymore of what was yours and what was mine. It all just kind of gets mashed together. Right. But yeah, okay. Uh, so, so I guess slightly, slightly a political cartoonist about to delve into a pretty political 
comic book. Tell us about this book, Jeffrey. So, well, I will tell you about the authors, and I'll give you guys a little bit of uh, context for the time period, as well as the book, and I'll try to keep it brief. Alan Moore is a pretty well-known comics writer. Um, he began his career in the late 70s and was writing for a lot of uh, UK comics like 2000 AD and Warrior Magazine. The comic V for Vendetta was actually started in Warrior Magazine and was serialized in like 7 to 10 page uh, segments and actually was unfinished uh, because Warrior Magazine went out of business before he could complete V for Vendetta. So it was actually picked up by DC Comics and the end of the story was added afterwards and when it was printed in North America. He's also done other works like uh, Watchmen, Swamp Thing, um, The Mirror of Love, and From Hell. And uh, for this book, he teamed up with David Lloyd, who was also a cartoonist who started his career in the late 70s. I tried to find other work that he's done. He was mostly working on Marvel UK titles. He was also part of a graphic horror anthology called Wasteland. And he did some work for Hellblazer, but uh, there's, it's hard to find a lot of... Notable works that he's done since V for Vendetta. And uh, for the time period, uh, so V for Vendetta was originally printed in black and white in 1982. And then was color was added and it was completed in 1988. When it was originally created, this was in the early years of the Margaret Thatcher government. Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister of England in 1979. And the Conservatives uh, held power, I think, until about 1990. Wow. During this period, England saw a period of almost zero immigration. And uh, they also introduced a law. And actually, I actually found this out doing some research for this book. Um, so this is the real world. This is before we delve into our fictional comic book world. Uh, there was a law enacted in the United Kingdom called Section 28. And this was an amendment that said... It was, for all local authorities, uh, shall not intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality or promote the teaching in any maintained school of the acceptability of homosexuality as pretended family relationship. And this actually stayed on the books as law until the year 2000. Wow. And it was actually repealed by Scottish Parliament in the year 2000. So it stayed on the books in other parts of the United Kingdom until after the year 2000. So, yay Scotland. <laughs> um, and so it's um, in this atmosphere that V for Vendetta was written. And actually, also during this time period, Alan Moore contributed to a, an anthology that was protesting against this law called ARG which was an acronym called Artists Against Rampant Government Homophobia. And that's where he wrote The Mirror of Love, which was later reprinted in 1990 as a, as a singular work, but it was originally part of this anthology. And this was also, like, the Thatcher administration was also the one wherein they had the Falklands War, which was a completely, well, I mean, I guess this is politics again, but <laughs> there was a war with the Falklands. Uh, what was the point of it? Who knows? Right. I, I didn't check the timeline, but I believe that um, this is also the time period where video cameras were becoming uh, much more affordable and accessible. And so you, I think this is the start of the CCTV uh, in England, where you have cameras on every street corner just recording what's going on in the public. And that's, that, that's still the case. Uh, like, I think yes, Britain oh, yeah. has 
more yeah. CCTV cameras per capita than anywhere else. Yeah. So or the per square mile. So yeah. So the this is there was definitely at this time period a lot of anxiety about there's a shift in politics in England. There was a real uh, pervasive amount of anxiety about uh, England shifting towards fascism. Um, and that's where we enter our, our fictional world of V for Vendetta. So uh, V for Vendetta was, I guess, uh, written with the idea that there was a nuclear war and that people survived that war, that there were still countries left, which I believe Alan Moore's gone on the record as saying he thought he was very naive to believe that the world could survive a nuclear war. If he could have written this again, he would have done something different for the catastrophe. Uh, but in in the wake of this this sort of post apocalyptic uh, event, uh, England shifts over to fascism, and there is a new political party that takes over. And the first thing they do is round up everyone who is not white, who is uh, not straight, and they put them in camps and they kill them all. And so we enter a world that's entirely populated by straight white people in a fascist society, and we're introduced to V who is an enigmatic character wearing a Guy Fawkes mask that is setting out to topple the society. Uh, and there's Evie, who I would actually say is kind of the main character, who's sort of living in this society and encounters V. And it's sort of about the, the toppling of this government through revolution and anarchy. Is that kind of a yeah. good summary? Yeah. Seems, okay. seems good. All right, so this is the, the second time I've read this book, I think. I read it uh, about ten years ago, I believe. And I don't think I enjoyed it as much the second time as I did the first time. Uh, and there's a lot of things, a lot of, I think, negative things you could say about this comic, uh, some of which I think we'll get into. But by and large, I still enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's, a lot, it's hard work to read this book, I'll say that. And I don't think it is a good example of comics. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Comics-wise, it's not well-constructed. Yeah, I will put just a minor note here uh, for formatting. So this is my second attempt to read this book and my first successful attempt, and I noticed that all of you have got the physical edition. So I started uh, reading this physical edition a few years back, and I found the panels very small, the lettering is very, you know, jumbles, the inks are very dark, and actually I found just the physical difficulty reading this book made the additional intellectual difficulty reading this book a little bit insurmountable at the time where I was like, ah, you know what, forget it. But then for this time, uh, what I did was I got the digital edition through Comixology. And what I decided to do was read it panel by panel. This is something I almost never do. I don't take guided view at all. Uh, I think it's more important to keep the work constructed wholly on its own page, but I don't think the artist uses page construction very well, or perhaps not in a way that I picked up on, and I thought panel by panel was a much easier way for me to absorb this book. And I also think the colors are much, much more vibrant, so it has a tendency in print to get very muddled, I feel. Mm. So anyway, just if someone has tried and failed to read this book in the past uh, and wants to give it another kick at the can, I would recommend getting it digital, blowing those panels way, way up. Uh, it allows you to get into the work that actually is quite detailed visually, and it, it helps you get into that. That's that's really interesting. I, um, I, now, this is something else I maybe should have looked into, but I, I feel like the Warrior magazine that it started in was probably a magazine-sized book. Yeah, probably. So what they probably did was the artist was working to a bigger page size, and then it got shrank down to a DC comic size, and they just slapped some colors on 
and called it a day as opposed to redrawing it or like reshooting the film or doing anything to kind of accommodate this new format. Yeah, perhaps. And it's interesting to learn, uh, as you said, that the colors were added as a second stage. So if you look at these colors, they're kind of like a watercolor wash mm -hmm. uh, over some very, very bold black ink, which isn't normally done. Normally, if you're going to go for a watercolor aesthetic, you, you blend it in a little bit more. You keep your inks a bit more subdued. And I think, again, there's another thing that worked when it was blown up, but when it's shrunk down, I think the additional texture and the additional variance in the color just doesn't translate very well uh, in a rapid way. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really I, that's really interesting. I'm actually thinking I might download it on Comixology just to sort of do a panel by cam panel uh, comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be interested in in uh, other people's experience like that because like I couldn't read it both mm -hmm. uh, in page view and panel by yeah, panel yeah. view, but uh, panel yeah. by panel view allowed me to read this work. Period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, do you want to say something? Or? Oh, yeah, I mean, I can say what I thought of this book really briefly. Um, I know this is not a surprise to Jeff or John, because I haven't talked <laughs> about this, but uh, I did not enjoy this book at all. Um, it was not fun. It was a chore to read. I had honestly planned to go my entire life without reading this book. And then Jeff said, <laughs> we're going to do this for trade waiters. And I was like, well, I suppose it's good to go out of my comfort zone. But I don't particularly <laughs> care for a lot of Alan Moore's work. Although I will say I do vaguely remember reading some Tom Strong about 10, maybe over 10 years ago and enjoying that. But um, this was a chore. I made a note that maybe I'm not smart enough or lacking in particular criticalities to actually get anything out of this book because it was just so not for me. I am not the intended audience. I found a lot of it very alienating and I just I just didn't like this book. All right. So... I'll, I'll, I'll go for a middle ground with you, Kathleen. <laughs> uh, like I said, I... Uh... Without panel by panel view, I've quit on this work before. Uh, I also agree that it's, you know, not intended for me. There's just so much sexual violence that I felt was hmm. really, really over the top and unnecessary. Oh, a lot yeah, of time, you know, we can, we can talk about that. I hate no, to Alan, Alan Moore and his rape narrative. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. But uh, I feel like almost everything I've read by him has rape in it. And um, I don't know. I don't, I don't need that necessarily in, in a book that I'm reading. I open it hmm. up, and that's like the first thing is like this character, it just like manages to just not get raped. But that's yeah. literally like, the first thing. An cool. underage character. Okay, and yeah. then later on it's like, ah, oh, yes, of course the priest is a pervert. Yeah, of course. Let's just use you as bait. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And, then, and then later, <laughs> in his indoctrination of this person, oh actually sexually molests her, while she's still a minor, by the way, we should, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, oh, we didn't do our uh, spoilers uh, warning, but I think that should be implied by spoiled. now. We yeah. haven't done spoilers in a while. Let's just this assume is, But yeah, the, the, the indoctrination knows. is like a big, that's a big topic that I, yeah. I definitely want to get into. Um, sure. but, but at a high level, way, way more <laughs> sexual violence against women than I thought was necessary hmm. or useful. Yes. Yeah. It's like, we get yeah. it. It's a horrible I, dystopian future. This is also the horrible dystopian present. Exactly. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, it, I didn't feel like it lended itself well to painting a portrait of fascism. Yeah, hmm, interesting. Because I um, like one of the notes that I made to myself was that I, I sort of felt like maybe it, it is definitely heavy-handed, but I felt like the the purpose of some of this was to sort of draw attention to the fact that this society itself is incredibly imbalanced. That like they've eliminated all these minorities and people that don't conform to like uh, gender norms and then even within that it's still like a very intense patriarchy and that it's I felt like that was accentuating like the flaws in the way they've structured things that sure. the, 
Maybe, if it was one minor point. Mm. Uh, but it was wielded against every single character except the Doctor. She was mm-hmm. the only female character in this work that did not suffer an episode of sexual violence. Yeah, and um, mm-hmm. I feel like, Jeff, you probably come from a very different point of view than yeah. me or Angela, because we do live as women every oh, day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> That actually, um, no, and that and that actually... Um, it, like, that's not like, it's, it's not waking us, it's not like a wake-up sheeple thing for us, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, yeah. I never realized that sexual violence could yeah. be so upsetting. It's like, no, that's like yeah. a lived experience. Yeah, no, no, it is. Now like, that I think about it, the first and last scene were sexual yeah. violence. So <laughs> the last scene oh, was right. the woman in the, white getting yeah, raped. Um, like ha- Helen, Helen here, yeah, 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 yeah. Getting raped yeah. by a bunch of yeah. cops. Um, um, but I, I, I definitely, right? um, I know. Yeah. Oh, we <laughs> definitely need to put a content warning at the beginning of this episode. Okay, we'll record one at the end <laughs> yes. of the episode. But um, but yeah, I uh, I think that was like an epiphany that I had um, leading into this podcast, which was that for me, because I read this when I was probably like 19 or 20 for the first time. And I think that like I took a lot from it and um, reading it again. I, I mean, I still think there's things that hold up, but one thing that I think I realized this time around is that in a way it's written as a wake up call to me specifically in that it's a wake up call to people that are coming at the world from like a place of privilege and that it's, you're experiencing um, narratives that are like making you recognize that the feeling of oppression. And so it's, it's like when you're someone who's part of a group that is oppressed, you're like, well, yeah, that's great. I, that's my life. I don't need that in fiction to tell me that where much later in the work, um, Evie has like parted ways with V and she gets captured and she's imprisoned She's getting tortured, she has her head shaved, and one of the things that, like, gets her through that experience is that there's this letter that's been pushed through, like, a a rat hole, and it's the letter from Valerie, and that letter from Valerie is something that I always remember, like, before I even picked this up to read it a second time, like, I was really looking forward to, well, not looking forward, but, like, that I was remembering that chapter and really wanting to, like, read that again and experiencing, experience that again, because I think for me... And again, like I'm coming at the world as like a cis, straight, white male. But reading that to me was like really eye-opening to really get in uh, a mindset of what it would be like if the government were to just say, no, you're wrong. What you are is wrong. You're going to jail. We're going to like, we're going to shut you down and everything you stand for. And uh, that was really shocking and really eye-opening for me. Um, And so I feel like maybe people that are in a point of privilege reading this, it's like beneficial to sort of gain that perspective. But I definitely understand how people on the other side of that equation are just kind of shaking their heads. See, it's interesting that you say that because I found that that was a really small part of a really long book. Hmm. And there could have been a lot more narratives like that to really illustrate the different destructive aspects of fascism rather than showing this Hmm. fascist aftermath. One of the most poignant parts for me that I thought was really... Uh, cast aside, perhaps, mm. like, really underexplored was the fact that Mr. Finch was married to a black woman who had been taken away to a camp. What? I missed that. When right? did that, that happen? happens during his LSD episode. Okay. He talks about yes. his wife, his and first his wife. family I've shows read this up. twice and I didn't even realize. It's, it's kind of subtle. Like, his family shows up and it's just, like, very obvious that they are black. Okay, and, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's... Okay. It's, it's no, like, a moment That's, super that's under, a really interesting point, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, and there was... And, and like, the, the thing with Valerie, like, that's... We're, I assume going to talk a little bit about the movie at the end, 
Oh, and yes. I think that's one thing that the movie turned... That's the... One of the best parts of the book and probably the best part of the movie. Like, they took that mm-hmm. and they just... They didn't... They, they made the best version of the Valerie letter. Yeah. yeah. It's probably one of the only few parts I remember from the film, which I saw, like, several years ago. It's like, very I memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, and I, I... Yeah, there's some things I want to uh, touch on with the film at the end, but... Um, uh, I definitely, like, to me, like, this is still one of the, like, this is one of the big moments for me in the book is, is the letter from Valerie and the interrogation and, and the turn, which is, I mean, the other thing I really took from this whole scene here was the idea of the one inch, like your, that last inch of yourself and not compromising that to anybody. And I really read it. And I don't know if you guys have read 1984, but yeah. I oh, really read yes. this as... Great. 11 English class. Okay. I I assume that most people had that assigned to them, but um, that book really upset me, and one of the most upsetting things about that book was that the main character gets broken down to a point where he voluntarily surrenders himself and, like, lines up for execution. Like, he gives up, and why he gives up is because they push him to a point where he betrays his lover, he betrays everything and so like he can't come back from that because he's he realizes that he's so completely sold himself out and that uh i really read this this whole section here as uh like a a response to that this idea of uh, and this is something i mean i i still get shivers from that panel and i still think about this scene a lot is you know when evie's sitting there and she's lined up for execution and they say, you know, you can still just sign a statement and, and get out of this. And she says, well, I'd rather die behind the chemical sheds. And I, I think that in my head sometimes. Like, I'm just like, no, I'd rather die behind the chemical sheds than, like, compromise on this or compromise my friends, you know. And I, I've never been pushed to this kind of a point, but it's something that I really hope that if things were to go really badly in, say, the election in November, uh, that, like, I wouldn't be a collaborator, that I wouldn't be making lists of names and, like, selling people out, that I would be willing to, like, be thrown against the wall and shot than to, like, uh, compromise, like, other people's freedoms, right? Yeah, see, it's interesting to me that this is the most standout scene for you as the example of fascism, but it's done by V. Mm-hmm. It's not done yeah. by the fascists I... at all. And when you speak about it, you say they. Mm. Whereas it is entirely the right. torturing this woman. I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. set up as right. her personal savior. I don't understand why Evie keeps following V. Well, I don't. I mean, yes. Like, I right. do understand, but I also don't because mm. I have. It's just one of those things we're reading it. Like, I cannot feel empathy or sympathy for V, and I don't actually understand their cause and i don't understand what they're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. in this society because they blow up parliament and then what they die and then what like what's the plan after the revolution there's no like what's the plan after the revolution it's just we have to bring it down and that that is the plan I think, like... But, like, that's not... Sorry, I don't know. I, that just not much of a plan. frustrates me because it's what <laughs> well, comes after. Okay. It's what comes after yeah. blowing up. It's important. But anyways. All right. Um, so, like, I, on, the, on the subject of V as a character, I think the, the way I read his character is that he is not meant to be sympathetic at all. Like, there's no when, way you can sympathize with when him. When he first shows up, um, I, I didn't notice this first... Sorry. I, but when he first shows up, I noted that 
Um, in his introduction, the big block of text beside him is villain. I don't think you're really supposed to think of him as a good person. Or uh, he's like he's he, he he's trying to bring down like, the government by any means necessary. See, I think right? like I, I read him as being sort of. Uh, a hero, but not in the sense that Hollywood means. I, I, I think he's a hero in the sense of the classical Greek definition, where a hero is someone who plays a role in society. Their job is to go out, leave your town, fight your enemies, do whatever nasty business your society has decided needs to be done, and they can't ever really come home. If, if, you're, if the hero comes home, they only cause problems. Right. Like Hercules killed his family. Odysseus killed more people in his own town than he did in, like, ten years of travels. Heroes are not good people. They're not supposed to be good people. They do a job for you, and then you really want them to just go away. Yeah. And I think that's the way V is written in this book. That From Alan Moore's point of view, he feels like in this kind of a society, there would be a role for a person like V to play, but... Uh, they're not a good person. You don't want to be anywhere near them because they're just going to cause chaos and destruction wherever they go. I mean, yeah, I think um, it's like to kind of build off of that, um, like I think V very much planned to be dead by the end of his his master plan coming together. And I mean, I, it is problematic. Like I made notes about myself about the Stockholm Syndrome of Evie. And actually... Related to when we talk about the film, I think the film actually addresses this in a very good way. Yeah, well, um, they do it slightly better. Yeah, um, but, it, it's but the fundamentals of it. Are yeah, really but I mean, the the idea is that um, he's trying to groom a a person to take over. And one thing that I thought was notable is that in the story, Evie helps V, but she doesn't like she doesn't actually do anything to the priest. She gets upset. She's going to kill. Uh, you know, the Scottish guy, and um, V stops her when he captures her and she gets imprisoned. Um, the only real, like, deaths that she causes are whatever happens when she flips the switch to the subway car, uh, when Parliament blows up. And it's very much set up as an indirect action. And there's, like, this whole scene with V and Evie where he's taking the, the the dynamite down to the subway car, and he says, we're not going to need this in our new world. Um, and I really saw that as him sort of acknowledging that, like, his ways are the old ways, that he's doing this, he's going to topple this government through violence, but it's his hope that Evie will, she will maybe take on this mantle of V, but not necessarily be that same violent entity that he is. Sort of like passing the torch off to someone that will be maybe like a different approach to maintaining this anarchy. And, this, this, and sorry, uh, so, okay. Uh, there, there's a point where he says, uh, "Anarchy wears two faces, both creator and destroyer. Yes. Thus, destroyers topple empires, make a canvas of clean rubble, where creators can then build a better world." So he's like talking about himself and Evie, where he uh, he can't build. Via as a character does not build things. He doesn't create anything. That yeah. anyone can live in. Yeah. That's not his role. Yeah, Evie's, he's setting up Evie as the creator and he's the destroyer, right? I looked this up in the dictionary. Um, so for anarchy, there's three different definitions. And most people think of the first two definitions, which is absence of government or a state of law- lawlessness or political disorder due to an absence of government. The third one is a utopian society of individuals who enjoy complete freedom without government. And so most of the friends that I have who are anarchists 
their end goal is that, that they want people to live free of other people telling them what to do, that you need to be uh, in charge of your own destiny and responsible for your own actions. And I think that's ultimately the goal here. And again, like there's flaws in the story, but the ideas of this for me is that I feel like it's not about replacing. Like your question is what, what comes next? I think that at least as far as how Alan Moore approached this is nothing. We keep it with nothing. We have no leaders. We never let something else form above it. We just let people manage themselves. Hmm. That's Um, interesting. I mean, aside from my, you know, clear and obvious reservations about Moore's, uh, let's see, tendencies, (laughs) I feel like one of the biggest things that I fail to take away from this book, which I, I wanted going into it, was a better understanding of fascism as a as a mm. structure, mm-hmm. and like I, if that is the the ultimate moral that he's trying to set up is this kind of portrait of fascism versus anarchism. I feel like there could have been more examples of this. What mm. does it mean to live with anarchism? So I mean, if it's like, yeah, fascism bad, let's all be anarchists. I don't feel like there, like like Kathleen says, there's no model mm. in the book of anyone actually yeah. living that way. That's well, true. I, okay, go ahead. I don't know. I guess I was just like so frustrated by this whole book. It, it was just like. It just, I just didn't understand it. And maybe that's my own fault, and maybe I just am not the type of person who can read into this work, but I just... I don't know. It was just frustrating. And, like, I guess I also fundamentally just really don't believe in anarchy. Like, that is, oh, yeah. like, something politically right. I cannot get behind right. at all. And, like, reading this, I'm like, well, what comes next? Like, people just can't govern themselves. <laughs> like, they can't! Well, I think, <laughs> I like, I, I agree that... Um, what I, I enjoy this because of its it has like a the sort of the ideas per square inch has a high number of ideas per square inch so that's mm-hmm. that's what I enjoy about it but that he, Alan Moore has not convinced me to be an anarchist also the whole <laughs> overall like attitude of this work and even like the attitude of the creators you know in reading the introductions like turned me off so much um, like right in the introduction, um, I think it's David Lloyd says like, this book is not for people who turn off the news. It's just like <laughs> that attitude. It's like, we're really like opening your eyes. It's like, to what? Like you blow we up buildings <laughs> and then what? Like right. what good does that do? I don't know if in the end it really does any good. Like right. what I just, cause I don't think it's necessarily productive for me to like, say I hated all these parts of the book, but I wrote down a whole bunch of questions I had at the end. Um, and one of them is, like, I I don't understand how, like, the public in the book feels about V's actions and, like, the explosions, because we see the government and we see Evie and V, but we don't really see, like, the wider public as much. And, and we I, don't see those wider implications of fascism and V's actions. Yes, yeah. and I feel you're like totally if right. you're talking about revolution and overthrowing a government, the people of the country are so important. And, like, maybe one of the things I enjoyed more in the movie is, like, the end of the movie when everyone comes together with, like, their masks and it's, like, the people coming together. But mm-hmm. maybe that's just my own mm-hmm. um, likes and dislikes and mm-hmm. beliefs and stuff. But yeah. I just... Oh, I'm so confused by this book. I didn't like it, okay. but yeah. that's well, enough. Well, so well, here, can, can, I think we can agree. As uh, as John said, it was a very idea-dense book, but I don't feel like the book was doing its best service to those ideas it was trying to present hmm. in a lot of ways. Because, um, see, I, like, I mean, one of the notes I made to myself was, like, um, a flawed story with really good ideas attached to it. 
And um, like there's and you can put those in a hierarchy, like flawed story. It's a yeah. really good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm going to admit that I think I'm definitely like forgiving it certain things just because there's certain chapters I really enjoyed and were really uh, important to like forming my own sort of thoughts on things. But there's a couple key scenes that I really feel like do touch on some important ideas, which is one of the big ones is, and I know I know you didn't like this oh one, but God. the speech to justice, where there's yeah, a I scene before he blows up the old <laughs> Bailey, and V is talking to justice. It's amazing, as that's if a he's... personification of justice, because she's a woman, also cannot escape sexual violence in this book. What? She's, she's called a whore repeatedly by V, and that's right. how she's put up as, you know, because she's gendered female. The, and the okay. whole, real, okay. sorry, like, y- you can enjoy this, but also, like, the whole relationship between, like, justice and anarchy and personifying them as women, and, like, anarchy is the mistress I am now with, like, right. there's that, too, which is, like, it's unnecessary. Okay. It turns me I, off. It's alienating. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, but you can alienated. say why you enjoy this scene. <laughs> okay, um, so... Uh, yeah, well, I just see, I just read that as, like, a metaphor for explaining, like, his feelings about things, right? So he's reading it as a breakup. He's, like, breaking up with justice because justice isn't suiting the bill, right? And in it, he's talking about this idea that, like, well, I, I used to be really enamored with you. Like, I thought justice was really going to mean something, but, like, you've betrayed me. You've gone more, like, you're really into, like, whips and chains and, like... You've left me for, you always love the man in uniform, right? And um, I think it just does a really important job of, like, talking about how justice, and this is, again, he's at the Old Bailey, he's at this courthouse, where we as a society have decided to put a statue of a woman up with these scales and a sword. Like, that's something that, that's not something Alan Moore created. That's just, like, a symbol that was created. No, no, we're and he's, aware. he's building off of that. But um, I just think that, like, he does a really good job of addressing the fact that criminal justice is not justice, right? Like, and I thought in particular this chapter is like really relevant to where we are today, where we look at what's going on with like people that are, you know, people in the Black Lives Matter movement, people that are like in university raping women and only doing six months in jail. Like, uh, just because we call something, yeah, or escaping jail completely. And it's like, we call this, we talk about justice as being part of this system, this court system, this policing system. And I feel like this is really calling it out for not meeting those needs, that this idea of justice. And it's true, like, he he says that she's a whore, but I think that that's meant as being... I think I need to be clear. The entire context is painting himself as a person who has been jilted by women and taking that woman to task for it. Right. And it's just a totally unnecessary layer that completely undermines his point. It right. totally undermines that speech 100%. Okay. It makes it very, very difficult to wade through, and it's like, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. What does it bring? It brings very little to nothing to me. Okay. Well, I, I just read that as, like, being, like, a poetic way of trying <laughs> it's, to, it's like, very give poetic. his... Violence Against Women no. is just so poetic. <laughs> right? I mean, sorry. I can't read this work and divorce myself from my experience. No, okay. And it makes it just really offensive and hard to read. Right. And it keeps coming up over and over and over again through the text. Right. And so you're trying to access these ideas. You're trying to take these interesting ideas away from it, and you're just confronted over and over again with something that's so invert and unnecessary. Right. Totally unnecessary. It makes it really difficult to enjoy. Yeah, okay. Uh, Should we talk about the art? 
Sure, go for it. Just to completely change direction here. <laughs> okay. Um, the art was in my list of things I actually enjoyed. The way this is inked is really masterful. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, like, if nothing else I could take away from this book, like how to use black in a panel, because the panels are so richly full of shadow, and yet still readable, um, and like, I'm always scared of using black inks when I'm drawing, but the way it's done here is like really, really interesting, yeah. I find. And like the lack of line. Yeah, it's I, that, like, that's where I would go to as well. There were a lot of instances where you'd see a figure and their leg or something would only be represented by a contrast in color. Or there was a lot of places where the blacks are very stark, but yet they would just be interrupted, as you were saying. But please continue. No, I think that was that was all I had to say. Is I I thought that the um, the inking and the use of blacks was really interesting uh, to look at, and I feel like for the book that this is, this is the art style that suits it best. Like yeah, like I agree that this is the perfect art style for the story. Uh, there were times where it's the sort of the combination of like drawings without lines and the, the black inks didn't work for me. Like, there were panels that were really hard to read. But I think that's only because this is an incredibly challenging approach to making comics. And uh, David Lloyd does an amazing job, far better than I would do, trying to do the same thing. Uh, and the, the number of times it doesn't work is vastly overshadowed by the number of times it somehow works. Yeah. And I don't even know how he did it necessarily. And there's a lot of complexity portrayed in these panels. Mm -hmm. Taking a style like this, where it's like the, the amount of detail that he's putting into these panels with the environments and the characters and their clothing, it would be easier, as you said, like he's taking a very challenging way to do it. It would be easier to take a, a technical pen yeah. and render a lot of detail and build up those layers. But the fact that it's been reduced as much as possible to solid areas of black and yet still manages to communicate quite a bit of this detail, uh, is really, really impressive. I'm sorry, <laughs> Kathleen just pointed out a spiral staircase to me, <laughs> because, yeah. Well, one of the scenes I like the most, actually, <laughs> did, did, where I thought... Did the spiral, spiral staircase work out? Um, no, actually, I think I could do, uh, like, I mean, as much as I just said how many things David Lloyd is doing that I could never do... I think I could That's do not his spiral best staircase. spiral no. staircase. Because the there's a really good one later on where I was like, man, okay. that is some good right. like, rendering. You're, you're my, favorite, right. my favorite spiral staircase. And this one <laughs> is where V has dragged himself up the spiral staircase and it's like the blood. And there's oh, like, yeah. Down yes. I that just was found a really that nice one. panel. That was good. Mm -hmm. um, like, I also want to say that uh, one other thing I like about this is how much it feels like London. Like... And, and things that aren't necessarily stereotypical England, but things like the number of CCTV cameras that are everywhere, the, the different locations that are not necessarily the most famous locations if you're from outside of the country, like little things like that. Uh, and there's sort of there's, um, there's a, a kind of an, a level of anger in the story, which, I mean, is pretty obvious, but it, it feels like a London experience, like being that mad about something. I can imagine, <laughs> like, I associate that with London. For some reason. <laughs> Which, should we say for clarity, like, you lived in London oh, yeah, for a while. A year, yeah. For the listener. In East London. <laughs> yes. There you yeah. go. So basically, none of the people I knew in East London would exist in this story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they would all have been swept away in one fashion or another. 
<laughs> Hooray. Hooray. Um, Hooray. I gave my brother V for Vendetta one year for Christmas, because I have a thing where I try and give my family comics, because um, they won't necessarily seek them out on their own, and my brother, it was very frustrating at the time, because my brother came up to me afterwards, and he started berating me, like, how long did it take to draw this? How long did it take to draw these panels? Because my brother is very much not into art and stuff, and that was like... He just really wanted to know how long this took, because that was a way he could, like, quantify it or measure it or whatever. And I was like, I don't know! And he was getting upset, because I couldn't tell him how long it would take. And I was like, I don't work like this. Like, I, I, I don't even know how long it takes me to draw a panel. Like, I can't tell you how long it takes someone to draw this panel. The only thing you could go by is publication date. Yeah. Uh, is, can I talk about one more scene? Yeah. Sure. So the other one that I... Uh, bookmark. So there's the th- kind of those three main scenes for me. Was so there's the the speech to justice. There's the interrogation, like the one inch, and the other one is uh, when he hijacks the television station, and he basically fires the British people. So it's sort of like uh, the dialogue again. And to me, like what I like about this is it's taking concepts and putting it in a different context. So the idea is that he's discussing England's future employment, where it's he's basically talking about that, you know, the English people have been offered opportunities for promotion and they've turned them down, that they seem to be happy to just muddle by and let middle management tell them what to do. And he criticizes management and sort of you see a lot of pictures of fascist dictators. And I just read that as a really good scene of just kind of outlining the criticisms with how we got into this situation, that it's sort of taking the people to task a little bit for allowing this to happen. And I think that it was pretty well presented. I do like that he doesn't let the voters off the hook for the government that they put in power. Yeah, and I mean, I think that something that I found is like a theme throughout is this idea of like personal responsibility. And I feel like that's really encapsulated in this scene where he's basically like telling people like you need to get with it. You need to work hard if you want to live in a free society. Like, And this is, I think, a big part of this idea of anarchy is that when people think about anarchy, they think like, oh my god, but people will be running around stabbing me all the time. But like, if there were no laws right now, like, would you really behave that differently? The only thing that changes is that there's no one else to step in and do anything. So you have to then manage your own problems yourself that you have to be self-sufficient right and i think that sometimes when we set up these systems we actually set up a certain amount of complacency it's like people just throw garbage on the ground because hey well we pay people to pick up garbage right i mean uh anarchy is taking that responsibility to like manage your own waste it's like a small example but like you know, in, in, in actuality, if I go out right now and I start picking up garbage, like, I'm infringing on, like, unionized workers that are being employed by the city to do certain jobs. Like, a, there's a system in place, and I'm disrupting it if I'm not relying on that system, right? I don't think anybody would actually stop you, though. Well, that's true, but I'm just saying that, like, that is in a, another interpretation of anarchy, and people often just see it as, like, fires and explosions, but, like that's only that idea of toppling the structure. The idea then is that once that structure's gone, everybody has to now take personal ownership, personal responsibility over their actions and what's going on around them. And I think that we sometimes just set up a system. Like When we have these systems in place, it breeds complacency. It makes people just sit back and go like, well, 
I'm sure the police are doing their job. I'm sure the government's got this in hand. Like, I don't need to do things. Like, I'll just chill out over here and you guys tell me what to do, right? In theory. In theory, theory. because I feel like um, it also maybe provides a lack of accountability when you have none of those structures in place. Because, you know, we're not all ideal humans Mm. and we won't all either be able to or want to take responsibility for ourselves and without laws and structure there is a lack of accountability for when people cannot you know do that and in an ideal world you know the police are not you know there's not issues with police brutality and we don't live in that world right. and there are issues but i right. don't think the extreme opposite is, yeah, yeah, is yeah, necessarily yeah. any better but, i so, mean i'm not i'm not 100% behind this doctrine but it's just like i think that that's ultimately that's sort of the message I took from this, is one of the main messages I took out of this. Well, if anarchism interests you as a doctrine, and you're looking for a completely left-field example, these are actually the principles on which Black Rock City, where Burning Man takes place, is founded. So everyone who goes to Burning Man is told that it is a place of radical self-reliance and radical self-responsibility. And they actually live out these principles. So you can go and build and do literally everything, anything that you want uh, while Black Rock City exists, but you are 100% responsible for uh, your own safety. No one's going to tell you not to climb a thing, but if you fall off it, man, that's on you. Right. You're responsible for your own safety. You're responsible right. for your own food. You have to bring in 100% of your own water. Right. You're responsible for the trash at Black Rock City. It is right. a leave-no-trace event. Right. Every single person has to walk arm-in-arm arm with their campmates. Right. And if they, if they will go uh, across the desert, and if there is a speck of garbage left behind, it is placed on a public map for public shaming. So you can actually go after the event and see whether your camp was clear or not. Right. And this does manifest right. down to the street level. So right. when I was there, uh, a person actually suffered a heart attack nearby. And they were alone, but within minutes, well, within moments, several people had noticed that this person was suffering and was by their side. And they had farmed out, so we were nearby, we were just in the vicinity, and we ran out looking for doctors. And within probably under two minutes, three doctors were on the scene. Hmm. And just other attendees. And so it's a perfect example of this kind of anarchist society that can work. So it's not to say that it can or cannot work, but again, like, if we could bring it back to V for Dendetta, I would have liked to see it either work or not work in the book. Hmm. Uh, I did like that speech, and I think it is very iconic, uh, in the sense that it has been co-opted by the group Anonymous. Whenever I think right. of Anonymous, that's the scene that looks the most like what Anonymous does with uh, the imagery. Yeah, and that's maybe... Um, I guess we should maybe talk about the movie and kind of wrap yeah. up. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's something I put in the intro that I skipped, which is, yeah, that uh, Anonymous has basically co-opted V, mm-hmm. and that's their public persona now. So whenever Anonymous does a speech, it's V on a TV camera looking very much like that chapter from the book. And I think that's pretty cool that it's become this sort of transcendent meme. And then um, that that kind of popularized itself through the accessibility of the masks, which were popularized by the movie. I rewatched the movie, um, which was written by the Wachowski siblings, and I didn't realize it wasn't directed by them. I thought it was, yeah, I was entirely I was them. By that too. But they only did the script. So... I remember at the time watching it and not liking it, and watching it again, I actually felt like it addressed a lot of the uh, red flags that I had put up rereading this and going like, oh, I'm going to have to answer about this. They're going to 
boy, I'm going to hear about this. Um, but yeah, uh, which is not, I'm not saying, I was like, oh, Helen Moore, why was she 17? What is wrong with you? Um, like, there's definitely problems in this book, but I feel like the, the movie did a good job of addressing those things. So I'd say some two key things that I made notes of, which is that they just get rid of Evie's love interest thing that was garbage in the book, and they forget about that. Mm-hmm. And instead, Except her that she falls in love with V, which is not good. Well, let, oh. don't, come on, okay. let me let me get these two things out, and okay. then we can on everything else. Um, okay, so good. Hurry up, we need to. Start. Yeah. So, <laughs> Steve, like I think Stephen Fry's character was a great addition. So. Basically, Stephen Fry plays a closeted homosexual living in this oppressive society, and he collects for like basically forbidden art. And like I thought that was like a great character addition. I think it really humanized things a little more. It gave you a little more of a sense of the greater world, as you guys had talked about. And then the other big one is that they do the Valerie scene in the interrogation perfectly, but at the end of it, because Evie is completely free that she has nothing to be threatened with and she has this agency from this experience she uses that agency immediately to be like well i can't trust you so i'm out of here and she leaves (laughs) and i do think that that was something needed in the book was that she really needed to just be like okay well you know i'm free and i'm also free of you and i'm going away now and like maybe figure out a way for her to connect back into the story later through her own agency as opposed to yeah being very much like a disciple and that is like a big problem with the book like um i agree i with with what you say i think there are definitely things that the movie does better there's two things that i feel like the movie does worse uh and i think this is just hollywood i don't think hollywood could do a better version of this book turned into a movie but one of them is that it kind of turns v into a typical hollywood hero and i think that's a serious problem I don't think anyone should see V as any kind of positive oh, yeah. force. Oh, yeah. should not book, have loved him. Well, not just that, but that he's he's doing he's in the movie he's seen to be doing good in the world. And I don't think that's the case in the book. I don't think he's meant to be seen to be doing good in the world. I think he's fulfilling a role, but he's a horrible horrible person that you don't want to be anywhere nearby. Uh, and the other thing is the thing with the masks at the end. I feel like that sort of isn't really the kind of anarchy that Alan Moore is trying to say in his book. It's conformity. It's conformity. Yeah. You're basically, <laughs> everyone's wearing the, the same, same all of a yeah. sudden. I, I think that that would have worked well if everyone had just conglomerated, but not necessarily all been wearing the same outfit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so, like, whereas for me, the ending of the movie was uh, a bit more something that I could maybe get behind, but even still, like, ugh, not really. Um, where it's, like, instead of just this one person doing one thing, it's a bunch of people coming together. But, um, I don't know, I watched the movie, it was, like, over two hours long, which is a very long movie, and, oh, what a slog. Uh, Rated over two hours long by Kathleen. <laughs> yeah. That is an unacceptable length for a movie, like, an hour and a half tops. Um, two whole hours of my life. Where's the animated musical version? Yeah, God, really. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was fine, whatever. Like, it was okay. Uh, I don't know. Like you said, like, I don't think V is easier to romanticize from the movie. Um, I was a little bit curious, but I didn't actually look into this, whether, like, Anonymous is, like, more interested in the movie depiction or the book depiction or just either, or does it even matter? They are only interested in the mask. Yeah, okay, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. 
Gross boys. Uh, <laughs> like, honestly, V for Vendetta just makes me think of these horrible boys I went to high school with who were really into, like, Jerobob dogs and the Church of Unbelieving and, like, Tarot and, <laughs> like, really, wake up, sheeple. So, and I just can never divorce this work from that, so. I, that's I understandable. Know. I don't know. That is not my experience, but I can, I can accept that as a valid reason for not liking this book. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So, uh, shall we talk? Are we gonna okay. wrap up? Uh, yeah, yeah, final, final thoughts. So, Do we recommend it? I feel like the ideas in this book are underserved by the material. I f- and I'd rather read another book on the same topic than this book. Hmm. I feel like if I got in a time machine and went back ten or more years, I would recommend this as a book to read. But in 2016, I'm not sure I would anymore because there are so many other good books. Hmm. I'm not sure this is as good a book as it was when it was written. Uh, This book is not written with someone like me in mind uh, as an audience. And um, I found it incredibly alienating and I didn't like it. And I think I would say that I would not recommend it. Unless somebody really, really wanted to read it, and then you go ahead and you do you, but... And do um, panel by panel view. Yep. Yeah. As, <laughs> as Angela says, panel by panel view, but uh, there are so many other books in this world I would rather read than this book. All right. Uh, well, <laughs> I think if you're an angry teenager, you should read this book. An angry uh, male teenager. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, I, I, I do really, I do sort of think that everything you guys have said is really valid, and I think that... Probably it's not a good recommendation in general. It probably was a bad recommendation for me for trade waiters. But um, I think that if you are like a straight white male, I think reading this could maybe open your eyes to some different ideas. Only if you're maybe going to read some stuff by queer (laughs) people of color as well. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I actually really was thinking it would it's it's uh it would be cool to see someone like almost remake it for the year 2016 and i thought a really good change would just be that um b never really existed and that it was evie the whole time <laughs> interesting no. you're gonna have to write your own fan fiction now <laughs> yeah i might have to do my v for vendetta <laughs> fan fix- fiction um i would still recommend it okay if if yes. you if you like if you if you don't turn off the news, no. Um, this is this is why we have four yeah. panelists, and yeah. we are not all the same person because yeah. that would be incredibly boring. Oh, yeah. it would be yeah. so boring if we all liked the same thing and read the same type of book every month. And, and I found it and, valuable to challenge myself. And yes. wore the yeah, right. same outfit with the same mask. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, I think we can all agree that just because we don't we're have all the wearing to pull off the dress. Just, <laughs> just because we all happen to be wearing the same outfit that wasn't on purpose. It's a complete coincidence. I I got this mask on my own volition. <laughs> all right, uh, should we do our uh, shoutouts? I am Jeff Ellis. You can send your complaints to uh, jeff.illustration at gmail.com. Um, or to, well, you can't send it to Alan Moore because he won't talk to you. Uh, Alan Moore doesn't exist anymore. He's a chaos find, magician. You have to find his um, village that he lives in. I don't have like a, a, a monthly book shout out, but I want to shout out to uh, Angel Catbird by Johnny Christmas and Margaret Atwood yeah, Johnny, as being a book that I'm super excited to pick up. I'm super excited to get that trade as soon as it comes out, so I'm waiting for that trade. Uh, Mara just got her copy. 
All right, well then sorry. I'm behind, and I'm really sorry, Johnny. Walk. <laughs> oh, sorry, run, don't walk to get your copy of Angel Catford. Uh, or pal, local hero, Johnny Christmas. Yeah. And Margaret Atwood. Whatever. <laughs> She's a kid. So All right, so who's oh who's next? Uh, I am Kay Gross, and you can find my work at kagcomics.tumblr.com, K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X, and I also have a webcomic updating at lunarmalities.com, and I'm still reading Full Metal Alchemist, and it's still really good, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working my way through that. Maybe next episode I'll also still be reading it. We'll see. Okay, <laughs> hey, I'm Jonathan Dalton. Uh, you can find my work at phobos-comic.com. Uh, and I've been reading this comic called Lunar Maladies. It's about werewolves and teenagers, and it's pretty good. I don't know who the werewolves are yet, but... Uh, <laughs> Page 115, oh. the werewolf That's, shows oh, up. I have to wait till 115? It's, it's that book sounds con. perfect for you, Kathleen. You should read con. it. Like Kathleen did before, where she was reading this book, and she's like, where are the werewolves? There's werewolves on the Oh, no. And then it's like, no werewolves. I feel so ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's been reading more exciting work than me. I don't have a shout-out this week, I don't think. Who are you? I don't know anymore. <laughs> I'm Angela Mellick. I do a comic called WaitsAtalent.ca, and probably the reason that I don't have time to read anything that I'm not here talking about is because I've been working on my own book. Yay. More on that later. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Our next book will be Cul-de-Sac This Exit by Richard Thompson. The Trade Raiders is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com or tradewaders.tumblr.com or SoundCloud or Google Play or iTunes. All the places!